Um, I mean, the air is thick, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and anybody that hangs around me long enough, you know, yes, by day I'm an attorney, which means I love the law, but I'm not like the attorney who challenged Jesus and got the good Samaritan story. I love the word. I mean, I want to chew it, swallow it, just feast on it. And so that's why anybody that hangs around me long enough knows scriptures just begin to bubble out. We can have fun with the word. We can walk and talk with the word. So right now, just as this atmosphere is thick, um, you know, the world has the yoga and, and the, you know, all of that. But there's a breathing that comes from the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. And so in Job 27.3, the first verse I grabbed onto, and it gave me my first tangible miracle in my life, healing. Job 27.3 says, all the while my breath is in me, the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. And when you breathe in, you're breathing in. And that scripture quoted it, decreed it, declared it three times in a row. Before that, for years, I grabbed the red asthma inhaler. <gasps> My chest get tight and grab it. And then uh, I learned the power of the word. And so I'm sitting on a plane. I'm like, you know, all the while my breath is in me, the spirit of God is in my nostrils. And it wasn't broken. Said it again. And the third time, it broke. And that was in 2010. Hallelujah. So, I say that just because if we're breathing in the atmosphere, the tangible presence, we are carriers of this presence. We're lovers of this presence, but we're carriers so that, you know, as we, as we awaken to what God has called us to, what he has planned for our territory, what he has planned for the uttermost parts of the world. It begins with the revival in us. Each one of us, we think in the old days, revivals, when the preacher came down, everyone jumped around and got excited, but revival begins each day with me. As I am revived afresh, and it begins with me, and it flows from my household, and from there it overflows to my neighbors, and from there it overflows to those around me, the hurt, the sick, the dying, the confused. And so as we gather in this, this holy time, uh, and this, you know, I mean, what's beautiful for me, um, you know, I, I asked permission before I came up, my bride, my Gina, you know, uh, we were here before we were married. You know, and it's just, you know, I mean, Jesus was showing up. Holy Ghost was like rocking our world. And so we are, you know, three plus years in marriage. And we have stood on your shoulders. We have seen the battle be won because uh, we have done so much in the spiritual realm just as we've come up here many years. And so we have a heart as well as a call for intercession for this place. And what God has promised so many years ago, um, the wells of revival that were dug in this place, in places across America. Um, you know, when you study about this, and so back in April, um, the Lord called me on this uh, awakening of Old and digging old wells or redigging old wells as a prophetic call. Uh, and so I, I, I gathered with some intercessors and we went to former places of the Great Awakenings. And so back in April, you know, I took, uh, took time off from work. Sometimes revival and the call of God, it costs you a little bit of time. It'll cost you a little bit of money and, you know, but that investment. So we started in... Um, uh, the Red River Meeting House in Southern Kentucky uh, and learned about the revival and awakening, the second great awakening and what was happening there because in that time, in the late 1700s, it was so dark 
And crime was so rampant that on that frontier of America, uh, women didn't go out of the household at night. There was debauchery, there was drinking, and no one really listened to the preachers or anything. And so uh, it was really a time that was dark. It was a time where God was not reigning and present in America. But people began to pray. And God began to answer those prayers. And he began to unstop those wells. And so as I took that journey through Genesis 26, and I learned that you know, Isaac, Isaac had gone into the land of the Philistines, and then he's, he's in a place where there is a famine, a dry famine, and there's no one that's um, you know, harvesting anything. But he goes in because the Lord sent him and said, I remember my covenant. So he went in, and uh, you know, he prospered. The word says that it was a hundredfold blessing. So it doesn't matter about the supply chain. It doesn't matter about uh, words that the economists want to balloon with inflation and cautionary tales and reliance on everything else. I'm here to tell you God says that when the world tells you nothing will come out of the ground, he says, I bring a hundred things forth from that. And so in that time, then they're so jealous, they send him out and um, he uh, you know, goes with his herdsmen to try to nourish his tribe uh, and his, and his uh, cattle and everything. And, and then suddenly the first well they come to is one that Abraham had dug before. They begin to quarrel over this. And he's like, I'm not going to argue about this. Move to the next one. Again, there was a quarreling with the herdsmen, moved again. But the fourth time, that's where we are right now. That was the Rehoboth. And so if you go to Genesis 26, 22, what the Lord was telling me in April, he said, these wells of revival that begin in the 1700s and the 1800s, and again during the Jesus movement, all these times that people would cry out and there would be a movement, but there would be a mighty strong hand of religion, even denominational, that would say we've got to set control on this because if we let it get out of control, then we lose power, we lose money, we lose... And, and what we see is over time is the Spirit of God would be poured out and, and people would be filled, but then something would come in behind to stop up that well. And the Lord told me as I went to Red River Meeting House, and then a couple of days later we were at Cambridge, you know, and I'm studying the revival that's happening here. You know, this was in the you know, 17, 1800s. There were no sound systems. You know, they just had to preach out and get, you know, on a, on a, um, on a stump, you know, and start preaching out and they'd kind of space out enough so they weren't talking over each other. Uh, some of the people would get in the trees so they could hear better and they would tell them, don't get in the trees because when the wind of the Lord blows, people start falling out. And so you read the journal entries where, you know, well, last night we heard go thump, 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 thump. Nobody got hurt, but that, that was what was happening at Cambridge. And, um, and how men, men were called to intercession for our nation and for that time. Amen. And as I grew up, I know the prayers of my grandmother. I've heard the groaning. I know the prayers of my grandmother. I've heard my mother pray. And for so long in the church, we've relented to the prayers of the women. But back then, there was an example, a heart and cry of intercession to change this nation. And how do we, how do we look in the past to see Jesus was an intercessor? David was an intercessor. Peter was an intercessor. Paul was an intercessor. And so, you know, in this season where it looked like America, uh, as a young nation, that there was... So much wickedness and darkness, and no one believed. Men began to cry out and pray. And then we went out into the week at Azusa Street. You know, we know about you know Azusa Street and the fire, the Bible, you know. Um, and 
So during that time, it was all about going into places where man had stopped the very wells of what God was doing. And so God brought me home and he said, this, I want you to prophesy over this nation. Prophesy over my people. This is their Rehoboth. I have made room for them and they shall be fruitful in this land. And so I want to release that word over you even now as we begin this this time is that this is your Rehoboth. God is making room for you. He's enlarging your territory and you will bear fruit in this time because he has spoken it. Hallelujah. And so when I, uh, I looked at the, um, what was up there earlier, the, uh, the theme of the week, or I guess uh, just the call for the week, um, the Holy Crossing, yes, an awakening that will, an awakening through the coming of the King, I can't remember the exact word, but uh, it was the Holy Crossing. Is it right here? Oh, look at this. All right. Yeah. Get my glasses out, I guess, right? <laughs> All right. So um, I'll just prophesy right now that my eyes will not grow dim as, that, as it was with Moses, so is it with me, you know. <laughs> All right. So a holy crossing, an awakening that will continue until the return of the Lord. And, you know, I am all about awakening. I, you know, I told you, I mean, I spent a week about the Great Awakening. I'm studying. I'm just, I've been a student of God, do it once again. All these powerful moves of your spirit. And just, you know, if we ever needed you, we need you now. And so, you know, I'm running after this. And then, you know, when I saw the Holy Cross and the Lord said, before we begin the feast, for as we're beginning, I want to talk about one thing that I want to address before the Holy Crossing. And so, you know, I don't, I don't preach out of Exodus really much. I mean, <laughs> but there is so much that we can draw from right now in that Exodus. And how Yahweh dealt with the camp of the enemy meticulously one by one. And so I just want to tee it up here. Um, starting at Exodus 14, yeah, it's a little bit, again, yeah, it's a little bit, if I can just take it a little bit, maybe the, it's the monitors. Alright. Yeah, Because right. I'm getting ready to... Alright. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. So I'm starting at chapter 14 of Exodus. You know, my subheading says the Red Sea crossing. So um, this is now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, so starting again at verse 1, if anybody's looking for that, Exodus 14, speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-Aheroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And I was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants were turned against the people, and they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots and took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. The Egyptians pursued them, 
all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, camping by the sea beside Pi-Hahiroth, before Bel-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Because there are no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve them? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see again no more. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. So let me just pray. Lord, I just thank you. Um, we thank you for the times and the season. We thank you for your appointed times. And so as we enter uh, this time, this tabernacle, Lord, we thank you for uh, all that you have written about each of us. We thank you for what you have written for us as a group, even now for such a time as this. And so we thank you that as we begin uh, this as we look towards the awakening, as we begin uh, looking at what you're calling us into and what you're calling us to do as a people, we thank you that you have determined you will once again deal with the enemy on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Yeah. Amen, amen. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bel Stephon, if you... Study, he learned that he was, of course, Baal, and he was, you know, one of the greatest gods. In fact, he was over the, the wind and the storms and the waves and sea. And when you study the ten plagues that happened in Egypt, you realize the Egyptian gods were being meticulously addressed one by one. That was for the benefit, of course, of the Egyptians, because the Lord said, you know, that the Egyptians may know that I am God, but it was also for the benefit of his people, because they were in the land of Goshen, where uh, these events and this curse and these plagues were not happening. Uh, and so, you know, God is meticulously dealing with this, and then there's the great exodus, because there's a Passover that's instituted. Um, and so what we have is they left, and they are now right there at the Red Sea. They've got the Red Sea in front of them. They've got the mountain on one side, and then they have Pharaoh's army facing them. And so they are boxed in to the point that their hearts are failing them. They're like, well, it would have been better if you would have left us back there because, you know, Getting whipped and beaten and you know carrying all the the, the the blocks and everything. It was so much better than being out here. Could you not have left us there? Everything that we have seen, everything that we have witnessed, even what we came out of there with, because the Bible says they came out with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble among them. So what we know is when that Passover uh, supper was instituted there was the first healing that was transpiring as they're partaking of the lamb and following the instructions. And so when the word says that there was not one people among them, that meant from the oldest to the youngest that everything that would have harmed them and kept them in the place of captivity, the Lord said, gird yourself up and be ready to go. And then, of course, with silver and gold, they pillaged the enemy. And so all of the things that they witnessed, but then they're boxed in. And they're facing a situation that doesn't look good. There's no way out. And that's when God says, there is but one more God of Egypt that I'm going to address. And what the Lord told me, as soon as I saw the Holy Crossing, he said, I'm going to address the veil of America. 
And when you study that, you realize Baal was a violent god that required the shedding of blood, uh, which, of course, is the shedding of innocent blood, the abortion. And, of course, that has morphed into the cutting and uh, the, just the desire for mutilation, even how that's now an identity crisis, so there's a self-mutilation. But there is this blood that continues to be offered and sacrificed day in and day out. But God has stood up and certainly has anointed, as we've seen, uh, we see the tables turning. We see the tide changing in many ways. But all that means is the enemy is closing in and putting pressure because we've seen some miracles. We've seen some idols and, and lofty gods that have fallen. But Baal that has been exalted in America has been lifted up. And of course his cohort, his cohort Jezebel is under him with the perversion, uh, with the sexual immorality, uh, you know, and I believe that when I was here even giving my testimony, and of course, those of you that know, I mean, I've got a beautiful wife by God's hand, and what I prophesied back then was, you know, the same sexual relationships is not going to be enough. The first thing will be the male and male and the female and the female. But that is just the beginning because the slippery slope is when they can marry one, then they will become polyamorous and they'll marry more than one. And so if you just search the news, you'll find out New York State, a judge just said, well, if two can marry, so can three, four, or whatever. And so if they can marry more than one person, then certainly what's next? Certainly if I love my dog and that is my soulmate or this is my pony, then you can marry an animal. And of course, if that happens, then I understand this child. Their parents don't understand who they really are, what their desires are. So why would I not be allowed to protect this child and come into wedlock? And I'm telling you, that's where this nation is headed because of how the enemy has gotten in and perverted and twisted our laws. So if we do nothing and we sit back and we appease and we just think, well, that's, you know, that's who they identify, that's who they are. I'm telling you, it is a demonic plan to steal in the soul of America, to actually every, every person that does not procreate is one more Joshua, you know, one more Caleb, one more Jeremiah that's not born into this earth. But God says, when you're by sin, from my ecclesia, my very remnant, feels that they are boxed in on all sides and that there's no way out. Yahweh. Yahweh. <laughs> And so the very word that I wrote out even this afternoon as he was, um, you know, telling me I'm going to deal with this bail. He said, your backs are against the wall. It looks as if you've been outsmart and you've been trapped. And they ask, who is this God and where is he? It appears that the enemy has won and has taken over your nation. However, just as I did at the Red Sea, yes. see my plans. Amen. Yes. I'm doing more than simply restoring this nation. Yes. I am standing to expose and judge your enemies and my enemies. And so I bring him with a resounding one, let our God arise and let him and every enemy be scattered. So yes, I mean, when you look at the news, when you look at the situation, when you look at sometimes even your bank account, you're like, they're winning. But the word of the Lord is, even when you're surrounded, I am standing up and watch me because it took just one night for the Passover. He said, watch me. Watch me. And why is there going to be a holy crossing? Because 
where we're going, there's not going to be any unused hands. I'm telling you, what I see is from the very youngest to the oldest say, he says, everybody's going to be busy. Everybody's hands is going to be about the service of my kingdom. So he took me over to Acts 17, verse 6. I mean, this has kind of become my theme song. Just, you know, like, wow. I mean, right there in Acts 17, 6, the religious group, when you read in Acts 17, what happens is Paul and Silas, they've been, you know, they've been out making enemies. They've been declaring the gospel. In uh, Acts 16, we see that, you know, they called sin for what it was, a girl that was fortune-telling and divination, so they got annoyed, just uh, come out of her, got her delivered. And so, you know, uh, her owners got a little upset, and they brought them before, uh, you know, the council. They were thrown in jail. They were beaten, put in, and then about midnight, when you read the word suddenly in the book of Acts, especially, you're ready. It's going to knock your socks. Suddenly, about midnight, there was an earthquake. Yes, that's right. And then revival hit that jailhouse. Because they were worshiping and praising God, just as we were. The very atmosphere changes. God shows them and said, I can't let these boys hang out here in the dark and they're worshiping and praising me. So the earth shakes, everyone's prison doors open up. Everybody becomes free to the point that be expecting these words at the grocery store, at the Exxon station, because the jailer ran and he said, what must I do to be saved? And him and his household were all saved. That is the awakening. Because we see in chapter 17 that they're then out in Thessalonica and they're they're talking to all the Jews that are in the synagogue and some of them are being converted. And then, of course, you know, there's a seeker group that suddenly realizes, well, their numbers are going up and our numbers are going down. And so they get envious and jealous and you know, they tell us in verse 7 as they're accusing you, these are those who turn the world upside down. That is your portion. That is your call. You're going to shake the prison doors. You're going to open them up just as Jesus is declared there in Luke 4 and that uh, Isaiah 61 is you will open the prison doors. You are called to set the captives free. And yes, you will raise the dead back to life. And even those who have mutilated their own body uh, and, and done things for them to themselves and their even their organs, the Lord says, even that, if an arm can grow out and a foot can grow out, everything can be restored by the miraculous work of the Lord. I'm telling you, it is not a time in this awakening that we're going to be asleep. We are going to be turning the world upside down every place that we go. So we have to get out of the mindset of thinking, and again, I, I, I joke and, and I have fun because, I mean, I grew up in a denomination. I grew up, my, my dad was a pastor. I mean, every time the church doors were open, I was there. I, you know, I mean, the sword drills of reading the Bible verses. I mean, I, I mean, I know all the ways of how to be a good Christian boy. But as the enemy would do, is he would go in and steal identities. He steals, and that's what he's doing right now, to steal, kill, and destroy destinies. But the Lord says, every destiny that destiny the enemy has tried to steal, I am bringing that back to life, and I am bringing them back into their purpose. And so that's why the greatest evangelist that we read about is in John 4. Jesus brought her around. Now, this was not a woman that was looked upon with a great reputation. When you find out that, you know, all the women in town would get together and they'd go out and gossip and they'd all get their water from the well early in the morning before the high sun was overhead. That's what they would do. 
But this lady, she had a reputation. And so what she has out there is literally at the middle of the day, hot. And what's wonderful is when we read in John 4, it says that Jesus uh, had to make this trip through Samaria because he knew there was an appointment with this woman. And so he's weary because it's so hot. And he's sitting there, and then she comes out, and he's talking to her, and she's like, well, who, you're talking to me? I mean, people don't talk to me. And then he, he reads her mail, talks about the five husbands she's had, and then the one that you're living with right now is not even your husband. So we realize this woman, people know who she is. But then when she has that encounter, it took a moment of encounter and as she had the encounter with Jesus, so are you a carrier of Jesus because you carry his very spirit. And so just as she had that encounter, God is called to tell you, you shall have encounters where people are changed. And so with her, she's, she's like, he knows everything about me. He runs, she runs into town and she becomes the evangelist to tell all of them about Jesus. There was no new converts class. There was no, you know, three ways to get baptized. It was, she had been radically changed. And all she knew was that she loved him. That, she, he, that he had forgiven her and that she had had this experience. And so she wasn't going to stop telling everybody. And so the first woman who turned the world upside down was a woman who had a reputation. So that's why when I look around the room and I'm like, I know there are people that had reputations like me, you know. And you know, there was there was a line that just crossed over between Saturday and Sunday. But the thing is, is the Lord says all those people that had that reputation then, the declaration is there in Psalm 40, verse 2 and 3. These people who have a testimony, whether they walked steadfast and immovable and unshakable by the world, or whether they were the biggest partiers at 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning. Psalm 40, verse 2 and 3 says, he brought them out of a horrible pit. Out of the miry clay, the muck in the mire, the prodigals that were wallowing in the mud with the pigs. He said, those, I'm bringing them out and I'm setting them on a rock, a solid rock. And from that rock, I'm putting a new song in their mouth, a song of praise. And the best testimony is, it's not about what they say, oh, this Jesus. It says, many will see them and fear and trust in the Lord. That is your testimony, is what people see and how you face the trials, how you go about your life, or just because they knew. If you knew where they used to be and what they used to do and they used to hang out with, but there's something about them. I don't know why they're always so happy. I don't know why they're just always. It's because when God says, I have brought them out of that horrible pit, out of that miry clay. And so that is our call in this awakening, is that we are called to bring forth that good news, that gospel, to all of those people. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. And so the Holy Crossing, Baal's been dealt with. We're now people who turn the world upside down. And this awakening is that again, we are all called to consecrate ourselves each day to wake up and say, Lord, use my hands, use my feet. Use my mouth. I'll go wherever you want me to go. That is our call. That is uh, our mission field is before us. And so, um, so I just, I, you know, um, the beautiful thing is I have learned so much. I mean, I'm old school. I say Holy Ghost. So much here. Um, and so I just, I follow the Lord. And uh, I just, I want to just talk to a couple people. Um, of course, I do that from. Um, thank you, Lord. Just breathe in. Job 
uh, who had Parkinson's and the point where she was shaking. Uh, so that Gina can't even get her vital signs because of the tremors and the shaking. Uh, but then by the leading of the spirit and just by asking questions, she finds that there's traumatic memory that had happened because uh, this young lady as a teenager had been hit by a bat, I believe. And then at another point, she had been run over. And so all of this trauma had happened at a young age. And so she's telling Gina, she said, well, do you think that has anything to do with all this? Because <laughs> I do. <laughs> and so how do you turn the world upside down as a nurse practitioner who's in a corporate umbrella, but you see the need of the person here who literally the enemy is tormenting the point that they can't even have their blood pressure checked because of traumatic events that stamped and imparted and planted on them at such a young age. So Gina just lays hands on her, says a prayer that was even good enough you know, for any believer, and just spoke to just what the healing with the traumatic, and then, you know, and then just told her, and I think, you know, that, you know, just keep thanking God for what he's going to do. Um, and so it wasn't long after that, same patient comes in, you interjected on telling this word wrong. Right? Same patient comes in, you know, it was a busy day, and she says, I went out today. And you remember the lady that told you that it was all over the place? Oh, yeah, she said, she was back today. I didn't even recognize her. She goes, I, I, like the name, I, I, just, I meant to say, uh, Miss So-and-so, come on in. And she came in, and she's like, oh. I said, Cheryl, Cheryl, I, I didn't even recognize you. You're, you're not. Shaking or not, you know, um, she's like, no, I mean, I'm doing okay. And, you know, it's a long time for my next medication. But and she says, well, I think the Lord has touched you. She goes, well, I think so, too. <laughs> to the point that as the lady's leaving, she's not the one that would be saying, praise the Lord. But she left the office that day, walking out of one of the other patients saying, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> And so it's to bring it into a reality, you know, is that it's not about what we're doing. It's about turning the world upside down, one soul at a time. I'm telling you. And so from that, that woman's going to give a testimony. It's going to spread from one person to the next. And so... Again, we just honor this house and just the people here and the people that we've encountered. Uh, Dan, I still have things written from May of 2020. When you brought me into a prayer call with all these powerful praying women, and then, you know, they start prophesying over me. <laughs> I'm like, I start putting the report, I'm like, oh, look, you know. Um, Shrug and say, but when? And God says, 
my word tells you in 2 Peter 3 9, I am not slack concerning my promises. I do not delay my promises because even now that promise is fulfilled. It is being fulfilled. Watch before your very eyes the things that you've wrestled with. And even as it was with Jacob when he wrestled and came out of that, uh, there was a fulfillment. And so this promise is, I hear God saying, I remember the promises that I've given you. I remember the covenant that we made even to each other. So how much more will my hand not go forth and my word not go forth? It does not come back empty or void. So we call forth that word now because he remembers. Even when no one else knows that promise that he made to you. And so we just are in agreement right now with Holy Spirit. No delay. Fulfillment. We did this promise even now as the old African preacher said, we did it in the kerosene of his spirit and we set ablaze that this promise will be fulfilled and burned for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Consecrate us once again right now. Consecrate us right now, Lord. Send me. As the prophet said, who was asked, who will go for us? He said, send me, I will go. And that is the, the heart's cry that I'm hearing tonight is as the hearts are raised and the hands are raised, the Lord is pouring out that consecrated, repentant heart. Oh, because that sin's a thing of the past, the shame no more. Double is your blessing because the shame is no full more. So I've just, I just prophesied in the smiths for God. Your word, the consecrated hands and heart is that Isaiah 61.3. No matter how burnt out that life is, no matter how much that vessel that was thrown off of the mantle and it's shattered, on the floor, that life that is shattered and broken and burned out, you said, look at that vessel that looks to hold nothing and is burned out. That I make beautiful again. Beauty for ashes is your portion. To be filled with his anointing, to be poured out onto those. Not just prophesy, Lord, even now, the oil of joy. Send your angels even from your throne with the vats of oil that you pour over your people. Thank you for the praise that you put upon us that nothing will weigh us down, nothing heavy. Even when they call the dark places on the map and around the globe and across the United States that you know, witchcraft does not reign because where the Spirit of the Lord is, where his people is, the declaration is there is freedom. These are carriers, and they carry the banner of your freedom. So this is an impartation, my Lord God, as we consecrate ourselves anew. Pour out your spirit. Baptize them with a fire and a flame.